gather in your house. This is your house because we are here and we are temples of the living God, that your spirit dwells in us. So let us make the most of these moments that we might soak you in um, so that on all those other moments, um, you have so thoroughly saturated our souls, we will not be worn out by the world. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. For the glory and the fame of your name, we do so. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, would you guys please stand for the reading of the word of God by our brother Christian, who's actually a Christian. Yeah, Yeah. we're chilling. And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock of God that God has entrusted to. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve the Lord. Don't lord it over people. Wait, over the people assigned to you in your care, but lead them in your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor and give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Actually, um, can I share something too? Absolutely. For sure. I was just, I've been kind of glossing over this over and over when Pastor Doug told me that I was reading it. I was like, okay, okay. And in our prayer time when I was just silent, I was like, oh, shoot. That's why I've been reading it the whole week. So, and it's just this, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your cares and worries to God for he cares about you. And I was just thinking about just the state of my heart and the constant just, I just kept the Lord like was just saying, give me your heart over and over and over again and I was just thinking about how my heart is connected to my mind and my and my tongue and just just the way I speak to people the way I, I interact with people it's small interactions it's not like I'm outwardly but it's just small things that I have to control that I have to surrender to God because I can't do it I don't have the strength I don't, I'm not righteous of my own accord he is my righteousness and it's just a constant surrenderance in that I need to surrender my heart. I need to surrender my mind. I need to surrender my tongue to him. All my actions. And just over and over again, he's saying, start with your heart. Just give me your heart. Have your heart set on me. And I kind of just wanted to share that with all of you. It's just something that um, he's been putting on my heart a lot lately. Thank you, Christian. That's awesome. Right there. That's awesome. And a great time. You may be seated. Um, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, if you would. Genesis chapter 3. I know we're not in Genesis, but it's a great, what well, Evil or Christian felt led to share. Um, it's a great tie-in, not only to, to where we're going to be in the message um, in Peter today, but we're in, I want to start in Genesis, because I want to show you why we struggle so, why Chris, what Christian just shared is true in his life, is true in our lives, why our, why our clear water gets muddy. 
in a world. And, and here, here is the reason for all of our problems right here. And it's in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So Adam and Eve have been created. They've walked with God. We don't know how long they walked with God before chapter 3 starts, but it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the, tree of uh, the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And thus is every problem that has ever occurred on our planet since that time. What was Adam and Eve's problem? They wanted to be, right, what did he hook them with? I heard greed. I heard he wanted, he, they wanted to be like God. Doubt. Doubt. I heard pride. Because ultimately, the problem that starts every one of our problems is that P word. Pride. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in, um, in his book, Mere Christianity, which is one of the books that the Lord used to um, really reveal himself to me back when I was in college. It says, the, voice I am I'm, the, the vice I am talking of is pride. So he's talking about there's one vice in all of humanity that's worse than any other. And he says, it is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to the Bible, the essential vice the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was pride that the de it was it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. That last part is, is why pride is at the root. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. When Satan came up to them and said, you know, you, you will be like God, Adam and Eve, who, Adam, who was ne next to Eve at the time, should have said, we already are like God. We are his image bearers. He has given us everything. And that's true for us. I mean, remember, picture, clear jar. Guys, when, when we have those moments where we want to flesh out Big moments, little moments, big rocks, small gravel, whatever it is, we should be, what we have to renew our mind with is we, we are image bearers of God. He has filled us with his spirit. Not us, but Christ in us is the hope of glory. So the opposite of pride is humility. But, that, but humi just trying to, trying to be humble isn't the answer. Guys, what is the answer to what we saw in Genesis chapter 3? Let me put it this way. It'll give you a better chance. Who is the answer to what we saw in Genesis chapter 3? Christ. So who is Jesus? I'm asking. Son of God. What? Savior. The Lamb. The way, the truth, and the life. I'm sorry. The Great Shepherd. Pure love. Others. Redeemer. Redeemer. The I am. Gentle and humble. Okay. Gentle and humble. Do you, guys, 
What's interesting, I'm oh, sorry, we're going to keep moving just in the interest of time. What, what was your last one? What? The gate. Oh, man, yeah, we could, we could do all the IMs. That's what she knows her IMs, apparently. We could do IM the gate, right? Because isn't it interesting, though, like, and we could keep going with that list, but isn't it interesting how our minds don't naturally go to where Karis's mind went, gentle and humble. And yet the one time that Christ describes his own heart, he describes himself lots of ways, as Zoe said, the gate and the shepherd and um, the way, the truth, and life, etc. But, but he describes his heart. He says, I am gentle and lowly or gentle and meek or gentle and humble of heart. But we don't see him well that way. And I know I've been hitting that pretty hard over the last few weeks because our tendency is to be a Genesis 3 person. It is easy for us to be prideful and arrogant. It is easy for us to stand up for righteousness. It is way harder for us to be gentle and humble. And, and so I'm not... Now, as Christians, it takes both. We are to be right, to stand up for righteousness. I'm not saying it's an either or. I'm just saying our tendency is way more towards the, this end. So we need to back up a little bit and go, okay, but who did Jesus describe himself to be? And oh, by the way, what does God's word tell us to be? And that's what we're going to look at today. So look at 1 Peter chapter 5. We're in week 9 of this series we're calling Stand Firm. And we are going to look at standing firm in your humility. Standing firm in your humility is what, is what today's message is about. And we're going to see in just seven verses, and we're going to move pretty fast, that in these seven verses we're going to see the, an answer to the question, how do we cultivate a heart of humility? Right? It's, it's, it's easy to sort of say, I, I, would, I want to be humble. It's much harder to go, but, but how does that happen? Like, how do, we, how do we see that happen in our lives? So what the passage is going to show us is going to show us that first we have to lead by a loving example. Like we, like, we should be loving people well. The second thing is we should be listening well. And then the last thing is we should be letting God handle it. Right? And it because the times where we tend to be prideful is when we are not leading well because we want our way. When we're not listening because we believe that we know better what the, what the truth is. And when we think we are the ones that have to take it on and handle it, it tends to make us look and feel and act very prideful. So let's look at our first, our first point. It's how, so how do we cultivate a heart of humility? We have to lead by loving example. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. So he's saying the glory of Christ's return. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shame, not for shameful game, but eagerly. Guys, I want to stop there for just a minute. I'm not going to do a, this is not a message about being an elder. Some might stop here and do a series on eldership. In our foundations toolkit, the toolkit, there's a whole section on the church and leadership in the church. There are several terms in God's word that talk about the role of leaders in the church. At first, I want to start with, there, there are three offices in the Bible, three church offices. An elder is a church office. There's, so I'm not talking about a place. I'm talking about a job description. There are three offices, elder, deacon or deaconess, and member. 
Those are the three that are talked about in Scripture. Now, for an elder, for a leader, and some of you are coming out of churches that maybe were not elder-led. We have always been an elder-led church, but some of you maybe aren't familiar with that. There are The word that he uses here for himself and for the elders he's speaking to um, is presbyterios. Or pre, it's where we get the word like presbytery. And, and it's this idea of an older person. Now, that older person doesn't always, when it's used in Scripture, doesn't always infer chronological age. It could be spiritual age as well. But the other word that he uses, and I'm not doing a word study here, like I said, this is all in the toolkit, but the other word is in verse 2 when he says, shepherd the flock among you. That word there in the Greek is the word poimeno. And what it means is to, sh- it means to pastor or shepherd. It's only ever translated two ways. Pastor or shepherd. But here's what's interesting. There's only one time it's ever referenced as a pastor as a noun, like a role of a pastor. And that's in the passage you'll read tomorrow in your daily reading in Ephesians where he says he's given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as um, evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. Like there it's used as a noun. Everywhere else that word in Greek is used, it's used as a verb to descri- like it is here. Shepherding. He's saying, he's saying you're, don't be a shepherd. He's saying, do the shepherding. So so what's the point in all of that for us? The point is that we are to be messy with the sheep. And guys, although he is specifically addressing the elders, the office of elder, I will tell you that, that if you are in Christ, you are a disciple of Christ, that means you should be discipling other people, that makes you a shepherd. doesn't make you an elder, but it does make you a shepherd. And so we need to be shepherding from a place of love. Why? Because if, if for no other reason, than because that's what Christ did. Now, the other thing I want to point out here just real quick in verse 2 is where he says, shepherd the flock that is among you. Guys, there's a great call for the local church. Peter is writing this letter not to a single church, but he's writing this letter to individual local churches to be circulated among them. That's why there are so many copies of manuscripts from that era, because they needed it to go out to other churches. Why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because, guys, it is so important that we get this idea that that belonging to the family of God is not just some universal thing. Theologians call like the church the universal church, and there is sort of this universal church of brothers and sisters in Christ all over the globe. We are brothers and sisters in Christ with people, with Brother Jeffrey in Kenya, and we're, we, we, we are. But we're not members of the same family, right? What he's talking about here is he's saying shepherd the flock that is among you, that, that, that you are connected to, relationally connected to. That is sometimes hard for us to hear because we don't really like what goes along with it, and we'll kind of get there in just a minute. I want to look at the last little part here. He says this in verse 2. Exercising oversight, exercising your oversight, not under compulsion. So he's saying, as you shepherd others, do it willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Verse 3. Not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Guys, humility, one of the things I've, I've loved about Cornerstone from the beginning is humility has always been a, a mark of our leaders, honestly. Like, and, and, I say, and I say that if there's probably been a leader in our church who's struggled with humility the most, it's the guy you're looking at right now. 
Like genuinely. Like for the, sometimes to our detriment, our leaders have been humble. And what I mean by that is that there's this, there's this weird balance in shepherding other people. Whether you're an elder, a deacon, or just, or, sh- or just shepherding someone under you, there's this weird balance of I, I have some level of oversight and authority over them because I have a charge by God to disciple them. And at the same time, I look and I go, but I, and this is the phrase I used a few weeks ago, but I'm just a beggar trying to show the, beggar, the other beggar who the bread is. Right? And, and so, so there's this tendency, and the reason I'm sharing that isn't just because our, we, we, have, we have leaders who, who rightly so are, are and, and have been, those that are not here anymore, have been incredibly humble. And that is a great thing, and I hope that never changes. Like we have never been the domineering church. That I, I'm not saying we haven't ever spoken hard truth into people's lives because that's part of what a shepherd needs to do. I'm just saying that we've never wanted to go, we've never wanted to lead from a place of, well, we're the elders, so we don't do that. Or we're the deacons, so we don't have, that's, that's for the other minions to do. Like, we're all in this together, on purpose. It's not because we can't find someone else to do it. It's because we know we're, in a lot of ways, no different, right? But, but I also want to address it because in our culture today, that idea of authority doesn't fly real well, especially in America. And we're going to see that with where Peter goes in his next point. But before we do, I just want to read to you this quote by Warren Wiersbe, who probably, Warren Wiersbe, I think he just went to be with the Lord fairly recently um, in his 90s, was a pastor for years, wrote a ton of books. He probably has been used, like he's probably the, the person I don't know personally who's been used by God to give me a shepherd's heart because the man just, he just was so good at preaching grace with truth. But it's, he says this, let's apply this idea of being a loving example to relationships. Rather than demand children or others obey you because of your role, so as parents, you're shepherds, right? Let's win their respect by love and example. What makes interpersonal submission easy, whether marriage, whether in the marriage, the family, or the church, is the respect won by the husband and father and pastor or elder through love and example. If, you're sure, if, if you have a surety in a leader's love, it is far easier for us to be responsive to their guidance. Okay, and, that's, and I hope you saw what he said there. That's not just true for pastors and elders. That's true for parents. That's true for, that's for, true for the people that you're sitting at the coffee shop discipling. Guys, if, if, if you're just getting to know somebody... Probably, like you're in, in an effort to try to disciple them in Christ, that is probably not the time to lead with some demanding truth. Right? It's, it's a time to show them, here's what love looks like. Like to invest into them. So that when you have to withdraw a little bit from that bank account, gentlemen, I'm talking to you about your wives too. Right? Like, like you, if, if, if everything you say to your wives is getting pushback, I would ask you, what are you doing to make deposits that are positive? Right? Because, because chances are pretty good that when you do come to her with something, she just figures you want something back from her if she's pushing back on everything. You have to prove to her that your love for her, and this is true for husbands, for 
parents and for pastors and shepherds. Same word in the Bible, pastor and shepherd. You have to prove your, that your love for them is unconditional regardless of what you receive back from them. That's hard. That's hard as a husband or a wife. It's hard as a parent. Right? I mean, I've said this before. If there's, if there's a single thing that I've done the most poorly in almost 23 years of being a parent is I, be, I believe... I believe I have too strongly made my children believe that my love for them is conditional on their behavior. That is not a good place to parent. Even as you parent your children in obedience. That's the challenge. So that's the challenge he's talking about. And that brings us to our next point. So first, we have to lead by loving example. The second thing is we have to listen well. And man, has this... I, I want to say this has gotten lost in our culture, but honestly, apparently it was lost in his culture too 30 years after Christ died because he brings it up here. So if you look at what he says, he says... Well, first, let me, let me read chapter, verse 4 just to, because I skipped it on, accidentally. He says, and, and when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. So everything I just said, absolutely, it's hard work and it's worth it. Like, if, like circle that. If you're shepherding, if you're like, I'm not sure this shepherding thing is worth the gig what, in whatever role you think you're shepherding people, right there tells you why it's worth it. Because there's, there's one of the crowns listed right there that you only get if you're shepherding other people well. Now look at, so, so then um, look at the first half of verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now again, that word elder can mean office. It can also mean just older gentlemen. So basically what he's saying is what we hear Paul talk about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he talks about like, like the younger people um, listening to the older men. It's what he talks about in Titus chapter 2, where he says the older women teach the younger women. Now, again, that doesn't have to be chronologically. It, in other words, it doesn't have to be his age. It could just be spiritual maturity. How do I know that? Because one of your readings this week is going to be Paul telling Timothy, who was not very old, shepherding people who were chronologically older than him, but were babies in Christ. And he was saying to them, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but set an example for the believer in your love, in your patience, and in your purity. He was talking to a young Timothy who was shepherding older men saying, your job is to be a loving example. Right? And that's true for us too. But, but, look at, but, here's the, but the receiving end of that, he's saying, but here's the, do, here's the deal, church. Some of you younger people don't want to listen well. Now, I, I like how he puts the word likewise, because you remember like, we talk about how words are in there for a reason? So that word likewise there at the start of verse 5, it, it means in the same manner. So basically, he's not just saying older listen to the younger. He's saying also younger listen to the older. Like it's a, it's a, I'm sorry, it should have been the other way around first, but you, you get what I'm saying. It's, he's saying it goes both ways. It's mutual accountability is what he's talking about. He's talking about this idea that, that we need to be better listeners. And guys, this is, this is an area, and I don't remember if I talked about it in, um, last week or not, but this is an area that, that, I, that I have a massive burden for that I'm trying to figure out how to get way better at in, in engaging the culture because there is almost no listening happening anymore. There's only people talking. 
right? It's, it's true about every, I mean, it's true, it's true in interpersonal relationships. It's true in politics. It's true in, on social media issues. It's just people sharing what they think and what's wrong with what you think, but not even listening to why do you think what you think? What brought you to this place? Guys, just because it's close, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. This is probably the most forgotten verse in all of the Bible. Chapter 13, starting in verse 16. I know we've got to kind of finish it up. It says, it says, do not neglect to do good. Verse, Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good or to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He's saying this is in, he's, the writer of Hebrews is saying the same sort of idea that Peter's been telling us. We are in this together, church. And then he says this, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For what would be of, for that, for that would be an, of no advantage to you. Because I, the, the amount of skepticism and cynicism and just, and the desire for like unaccountability in our culture now is rampant and it has spilled into the church. And so we read a verse like this, obey your leaders and submit to them. And we go, yeah, that man, that's abusive. That is abusive language now. No, I, I, I mean, Seriously, like, like, the, like the culture believes those two words are abusive words. And unfortunately, so does the church. We just might not, in a church like ours, say it out loud. But we do not, I do not want to be told what to do. I just don't. Right? And, 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 I, and I get, guys, that, that can leadership be abused? Yeah. Is leadership abused? Yeah. Do I understand that there are reasons for skepticism and cynicism, even within the church. Yeah, I do. And that's why we have to go back to our first point of being an example of love. You lead by loving, not by domineering, is what Peter told us in the first example. But guys, that, the second half of that verse, who will give an account of, or the second half of, of um, after he says, you know, obey your leaders, he says, they will keep they keep watch over your souls and those as those who will give an account like that keeps me up at night and it should you too if you're shepherding people i remember the day guys i mean i was, I was still in i mean i was i was the varsity basketball coach at sunrise mountain high school i was my my career was going forward i the, the idea of being a pastor was as far from me as as I could even possibly imagine. I remember sitting there at four in the morning at my kitchen table having my quiet time before I was going to go to work that day. And I remember the Lord saying to me, Doug, you are going to hear well done, good and faithful servants someday, and it will have nothing to do with how you coach basketball. And it will have everything to do with how you raise your children. And I resigned because Kylie was born a few months earlier. And I never saw her awake. And I resigned as basketball coach. And I stepped way back from my roles at the, church, at the school. And did that have an impact on my career? Yeah. Do I care? Not even a little bit. Right? And, and we, what, my point in sharing that, I believe I will stand before the Lord someday and give an account for how I did parenting Kylie, Abby, and Emma. Not under my salvation, but under reward. 
The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? I believe that about you guys. I believe I will stand before the Lord someday and give an account for the souls he's brought to this church. That's part of why we're trying to figure out where everybody's at spiritually with those cards, the, the connect cards of where are you on your spiritual journey? It's not so that we can somehow lord it over people. It's so that we can just say, man, we're going to give an account. We better know who we're accounting. We better know well the condition of our flock is what Proverbs tells us. Okay, so back to 1 Peter. I don't remember. I think I left you in Hebrews. Let's go back to 1 Peter. We're going to finish it up. So the question we're looking at is how do you cultivate a heart of humility? First, you, you commit to leading by a loving example. Like lead with love, extend grace, you listen well, like, right? I, I have to read this, even though I was just going to go on to the third point, because I know we're over time, but look at your table talk question. It's on the back of your, of your bulletin, if you have one. Because, again, I, I think this is such a massive problem in our culture. I think it's a massive problem in our marriages. I think it's a massive problem pretty much everywhere in my life, too, sometimes. It says, how do you know if you're growing in humility? Here's one surefire way to tell. Are you becoming a better listener? Are you open to learning from others? Now you might go, how does, how does listening and humility, remember what I said at the beginning of the message? You might, you might not, because it feels like it was a long time ago, even to me. So it, it thank you for laughing, Taylor, I appreciate that. Um, guys, how do I know, how, do, how does listening connect to humility? Because if I think, the only way I think, I, the only thing I, the only reason I care about what Adam has to say is if I believe he might have something to tell me that I don't already know. If I think I got it all figured out, if I'm so prideful and arrogant, I'm like, he's got nothing for me. Why would I listen to him? Right? That's where, the, so we'll keep going here. It says, are you eager to hear someone else's story? On a scale from one to 10, where 10 is the best, how good a listener are you? I want you to stop right now and just think. Think, think if you would, just for, like, like just in talk, maybe it's talking to somebody at, your, at their workplace. Um, it's in whatever setting, with your kids, whatever setting it is. I want you to stop and think to yourself, like, really, how good a listener are you at listening to understand? Not listening to respond. You all understand the difference between those two things. Okay. So, one to ten, everybody... Put, put the number on your fingers. No, seriously, do this. Come on. And I'm going to say one, two, three, and you're going to raise your hands. You know, one to ten. We're transparent here. We're all a mess. Admit it. Right? We're getting clearer all the time. Ready? How good a listener are you? One to ten. Go. We got some fours, some five, mostly five, six, sevens. We got a one uh, from, our, from our resident hearing impaired person. Oh, it was a 10. She's the best. Uh, she has to pay attention. That's good. Actually, that's, that's well, well played, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right, now we'll go on to our last point. The last, so the last way we cultivate a heart, when we can step back and be humble is when we know that God's got this. Right? When we don't feel like we have to force our way into every situation. So, look at how, look at how Peter says it. The second half of verse 5. Uh, which is, sorry, I'm, I, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you. So there's back to that, 
mutual accountability. Peter is not just speaking to, now I'm talking to the bodies, and all of you, including the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He's just quoting Psalm 34, and yeah, I'm just going to, he's just quoting Psalm 34, I'm going to skip that part, sorry, and, he, and then he says, and then he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Because do, do you remember where you've heard that before in the Bible? Because Peter's writing this. He's saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you. Just because it's close again, turn back to the book right next to 1 Peter. Turn to James chapter 4. And I know I'm over, so I'm not going to spend any time on this, but I do want to show you how consistent God's word is in, humi- in, in us being humble and recognizing that, w- that we are not him. That we don't, we can't control every person. We can't, we can't make everything happen that we want to have happen. We have, to, we we can't do the things that make us prideful, and and win because God's in control. He says, look at verse, look at verse one of chapter four. What causes quarrels that that cause fights among you? Is it not that this that your passions are at war within you? He's saying, is it not uh, the reason you fight? The reason you fight as a married couple. The reason you fight as kids, siblings, guys, young people in the room. If you're sitting there with your brother and sister, here's why you fight. I want, I want, I want, I want. So when I want and they have, I take and we fight. Whatever the thing is, here's the problem. Some of us are a whole lot older than kids, and we're still doing that. I want. Come on. Right? We do. What, what, that is the, it is the completely anti-God state of mind. I want is pride, right? And pride is the anti-God state of mind. And he keeps going on. James does. This isn't Peter writing. James does. And look at what he says in verse 6 and 7. He says, but God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. By the way, this is one of your daily readings this week. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee you. And that's where exactly where Peter's going to go, and we're going to pick it up next week. Guys, here's the, here's the bottom line. And, I, and I'm going to have the music team come up and get, get us ready to transition to our time of response. Guys, humility is not weakness. Our culture, especially in America, especially in Western America, our culture says humility, being humble, preferring the other person is weakness humility is trust that's what humility is humility is trusting god enough to go i don't have to i will let him right i will let him win this fight for us guys that can only happen when we lower ourselves and exalt him that's That's why humility is so important. That's why it's so important for us to be still and let all that junk in our lives and in the world settle so we can get a better ear for the Spirit and go, how do I trust you more in this moment, Lord? Because that's that's what humility takes. When you're in the midst of an argument with your spouse, when you're in the midst of a struggle at work, when when you're just fighting road rage, it is, an, it is a struggle for humility that flows out of a lack of trust in God. Because if you believe that God is sovereign, if you believe that he's in control, 
then whatever it is that's in front of you that's making you prideful and angry and whatever those things are is being filtered through him. And what you're saying is, God, I don't want that. I want this. I want to eat that fruit off of that tree. I don't care what you say. That is the opposite of being humble. And guys, remember, and we'll talk more about this next week, and remember, the one time that Jesus describes his heart is in Matthew 11 when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Right? Because he's, he's trying to explain to them, guys, what I said earlier, I am never like this. Jesus is saying, I'm never like this. I'm always like this. Come to me. Right? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not saying, come to me after you remove your yoke. He's saying, come to me in the midst of your struggle. Sorry, in the midst of your struggle. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is right, light. And, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? Because I'm gentle and humble of heart. He's like, this is why I look like this and not like this. Because I'm gentle and humble. And we are to be like him. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you right now, Lord, and, and I confess my own inability. But I also confess your complete ability. That's what's so amazing about you. So I want to pray right now that you would continue to reveal those things to us that are in our hearts that get in the way of you that are the I want things that are, that are ultimately rooted in pride and a lack of trust in our God Lord remind us that you're in control remind us that you know best. And remind us what Peter told us. That we are to cast all of our cares on you. Because you care for us. I don't have to, Lord. I don't, I don't have to do X, Y, or Z. I don't have to make everything right. I don't, it, it's not my job to fix every problem. Our job is to love people well, to listen to hearts, and to let you do what only you can do. So let us just get out of the way. Let us have those moments of silence and solitude, of pressing into you and your word, of hearing your voice say, this is the way, walk in it. Help us to be humble because we're probably never more like Jesus. In his name we pray.